Hello, First Baptist Church of China Grove. We're here in our Bible study in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. And it's obvious that we're going to miss finishing the book by about, oh, I don't know, 10 chapters, 11 chapters or so. So again, uh, I, I am publishing a book. Uh, if you'd like to get a copy, I'll give you a special First Baptist Church discount rate. It's called uh, a... Uh, uh, a spiritual commentary uh, on uh, Hebrews, and we will cover every chapter in that book, and some really, really good stuff in there, especially about the priest when he came to offer, for example, the sacrifice. He had to look at himself in the brazen labor, and he saw his reflection, and he had to cleanse himself with water, symbolizing that when we come before God, we see our sin, and we see ourselves as we are. Uh, just a lot of little spiritual tidbits in the book like that that really, really leap out at you. And uh, I guarantee you, if you follow this study to fruition in the book I'm writing, that it will, uh, it will benefit you very much personally and spiritually. But we're still just in, really in the beginning stages of the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 2, uh, verse 3, talking about the Word that was received. We learned in chapter 1 that uh, the word now from God is spoken through Jesus. This is why we don't see burning bushes and mules speaking and all the things we saw in the Old Testament. Remember, they didn't have. God had no way to speak to them, but now through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we have a way. It says in chapter 2, Verse 2, begin, let's begin in verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now that's a key because later on in chapter 5, Paul is going to address the fact that they have let the things that have been taught slip. And also that they have gotten off the foundation of the principal things of the Word of God, even the basic principles. They have slipped away, they have slipped away from them. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord Jesus, and was confirmed to us by them that heard him, the apostles? God also bearing the witness, God, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. So God has spoken unto Moses in the Old Testament and others by angels. As a matter of fact, if you look back in, chapter, in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, you might want to look there. This is He that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spoke to him in Mount Sinai. And with our fathers who received the lively oracles, that's the word of God, to give unto us the lively oracles. That's, oracles is another name for the word of God. So he says, it says there that angels, while Moses was up there, angels were speaking to him, helping him with 
what God was giving. So angels were helping. I always wondered how he carved out that Ten Commandments. He didn't do that. Angels did that. And so he was receiving the Word of God. But he says, look, in the Old Testament, the Word given by angels received a recompense of reward. In other words, sometimes judgment. How much greater, how much greater is the Word spoken by Jesus, and who is Jesus, according to chapter 1, but God incarnate, walking flesh, walking among men. So if God himself spoke, if we neglect so great a salvation, how bad is that? Now remember, he's speaking to a bunch of Jews here. They accepted the Old Testament law. But what Paul is saying here, the writer how much greater can Jesus be? He's superior to angels, superior to everything. And His Word, if we're neglecting His Word, that's even greater. That's worse. That's worse. Because it was spoken to us by the Lord Himself. How should we escape? There is no escaping. There is no escaping. If we neglect to respond to the Gospel... What does it say? It says, if we believe not, we are condemned already because we believe not on the only begotten Son of God. So, how we cannot neglect so great a salvation. And matter of fact, this is borne out in Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul, in Galatians, where Paul mentions in 3.19 that the, the angels were helpers in the receiving of the law. But he also says what he should say in chapter 1. Paul says to the Galatians, Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you. In other words, they bring an angel from heaven even, came and brought you another word than what I brought you. He's accursed. Because Paul recognized the fact that an angel could bring forth the word of God. That's one of the ways the word has been brought. And he says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you. Paul said, even if I change and start preaching a new gospel, I'm accursed of God. Because I preach the truth. And it's the truth that Jesus preached, the same gospel. So how shall we escape? Folks, if we don't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, we shall not escape. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah heard... Angels pronounced judgment. And when Jesus was speaking on earth, he told the people listening to him, listen to me. Here's what he says. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in the day of judgment against you. Why? Because a greater is here. In other words, Jesus, God incarnate, the Son of God, those cities will rise up in judgment against you because you're hearing the Son of God. You're hearing directly from God Himself. And you're turning away from the truth. So, certainly the words of angels, in this case, is true. Daniel 9, 21, they brought uh, Daniel the Word and an answer to prayer in chapter 10. So, God held them accountable for the words delivered. Uh, and I mentioned the cities here. 
Uh, in Matthew 10, he tells, uh, if the city rejects them, it will be more tolerable in judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than them. Uh, now, having said that, what I just said about holding us accountable for the gospel, if we're lost, you ought to be very, very uncomfortable right now. Because God says you should be more uncomfortable than Sodom and Gomorrah. You should be. And as a Christian, how uncomfortable should we feel? Pretty uncomfortable. What have we done? Have we neglected the gospel? Have we not shared it? Have we let it just kind of sit there? Uh, have we been reckless with it? That's what neglect means, to be reckless or careless with it. You know, you have to understand the gospel. Oh, Paul preached it. It was the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 11 and 12, it speaks of preaching the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. In other words, I see there saying, here is a message sent down from heaven, cloaked with the Holy Spirit. Like a gift, a heavenly gift. Like the manna from heaven, but greater than the manna from heaven. You know, the manna gave them sustenance to live. The gospel gives us sustenance to live eternally. The bread from heaven. Jesus also was the bread from heaven. And everything you can say about the gospel, you can say about Jesus. Life giving. And this was the whole purpose of the coming of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus is having that conversation with his disciples. And they're all getting, they're saying, what will you do now, Jesus? Will you now restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, look, these issues are not for you. It's not for you to know the prophecy and the, and the times of, the, of God and His second coming. That, those are times and things, issues He deals with that He's put in His own hands. He said, all that you need to know, verse 8, is the Holy Ghost will come and you will be made witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. That's all you need to know. Huh. Well, he kind of set them straight. You know, they never did quite get it till the Holy Spirit came. God bless them. Because they were up there trying to that night trying to raffle in a new disciple. You know, they just didn't get it. But uh, finally they did. But God also confirmed this word, look here, by wonders and miracles. God, the, the perp, what was the purpose of the miracles? The healings and all the things done in the New Testament. What was the purpose? God, bearing the witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. So to confirm the word that was being given, God gave them wonders and miracles. Now, let me ask you a simple question, and this will help you 
with the modern day charismatic movement. Which I think is way off base. How much of the word today needs to be confirmed? None of it. It's been confirmed already, we have it. So we don't need signs and wonders anymore. This is the sign and wonder. This is the wonder, right here. The miracle. This is the miracle. You don't need any miracle other than that. I spoke about the prophecies of Christ. It's a miracle. Uh, everything in the Bible is a miracle. And once the word was confirmed, we don't need that anymore. The apostolic work is done. That's why we don't have apostles anymore. We had the twelve apostles and no more. We have the book and the, we have the Bible. Now, in verse 6 through 10 of the chapter, uh, we have the incarnation of Jesus, His death, and His exaltation. Now, we're going to kind of reverse the narrative of chapter 1. In chapter 1, we see the divine nature of Christ. What about Jesus and His humanity? Well, let's talk about that. Verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, of the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou made him lower than the angels. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold the horses. Didn't it say in chapter 1 he was greater than the angels? Yes. Speaking of his divine nature. But let's face it, when Jesus was here on earth, he hungered, he thirsted, he had to sleep. He was subject to all the physical limitations that humanity has. At that point, when Jesus was on the earth for three years, or 33 years, we believe, he had physical limitations that made him, at least at that moment, less than the angels. Would you agree with that? I hope everyone would, yes. Now made him a little lower than the angels, but, but why? For, because he could be crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of thy hands. In other words, he's been exalted from his humanity to set over everything. And God put everything under his feet, verse 8. For in that he has put everything in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. Everything today is under the absolute control and authority of Jesus Christ. Why is the world in the shape of sin? Okay. And I give it this way. If you go over to Revelation 5, and the title deed to the earth is lost, and no one can find it, no one can bring it back, Finally, the lion of the tribe of Judah was found, and he could redeem the earth. The earth was lost by Adam, gained back by Jesus. Uh, but we don't yet see Jesus has purchased the house. But Jesus is still at the right hand of God. He hasn't moved in yet. See, the time between Jesus' ascension and now, we're waiting for Jesus to take possession. He's bought it. By authority, it's his. Legally, it belongs to him. He's established a, peer, a spiritual kingdom here that inter interlopes into this place. 
And eventually that spiritual kingdom will take over the whole world when he returns. That hasn't happened yet. So all things are in, under his authority and subjection to him, but we don't see everything under him. But we, but now we see not yet all things under him. In other words, it doesn't appear that he is the authority, but he is. But what do we see? Verse 9, we see Jesus. This is what we see right now. This is us now. Verse 9, this is now. We see Jesus made lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. There you go. This is where we are. He was exalted in heaven. He hasn't been exalted here yet. But when he returns, he will return exalted here. But what we see from the earthly standpoint, what we see from our vantage point in the church, is Jesus made in the form of a man, lower than the angels. He died. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 10. He felt pain. He got hungry. He was nailed to the cross. He died for our sins. He humbled himself like a servant, like a slave, and became obedient to death of the cross. Wherefore, God will highly exalt him. And someday, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But we don't see that yet. What do we see? Verse 9. We see the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. He's been exalted in heaven, but we don't see that. All we've seen is death, burial, resurrection of Christ. The gospel. So, this is where we are. Now, several verses here speak of the passion of Christ. In verse 9, and I love this, uh, he tastes death. You know, over there in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no sting of death for the believer. He's taken it away. When a, when a, and this is true, when a saint of God, a believer dies, and when an unbeliever dies, that's a totally different situation. One dies not knowing the sting or taste of death, and one dies knowing it full well, the pang of death. Sadly, but true. So as a believer, we don't have, you know, we worry, some people are concerned, don't worry. And, and I've been there with many people who passed, and... Most of the Christians I've been with passed peacefully with a smile on their face. It was as if that moment they were in glory, that in-between moment, that twilight. Because you, it, it's almost you sense something happening. My, I wasn't there, but my sister, whom I led to the Lord, went to be with my dad upon his death and said he was singing, right before his death, he was singing hymns. And he turned to my sister and she said, he said, they're here for me now. And he was gone. They're here for me now. For the believer, that's the way it'll be. Pass from death unto life. From death unto life. Folks, there'll be no pain, no suffering in death. He has tasted death. For all of us. By the grace of God. When you, and that, when you die. 
God gives you saving grace, living grace, teaching grace, and the grace to die. Dying grace. You receive that dying grace at that moment. And for the believer, I remember when my mother-in-law passed, it was such a sweet moment. And her, my father-in-law passed. My dad passed. I wasn't there when my mother passed, but I saw a precursor of that. She was smiling the day before she died. Like she hadn't smiled in years. She was happy. It was almost as if already she was in that mode. So listen. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is open to all. It's for every man. Uh, that's the one point of Calvinism that uh, I can never, I have never accepted it as limited atonement, and uh, because I just think it's open to everyone. Uh, the because I don't want to limit the grace of God. I think the capacity is there for everyone. It says here, he takes the death for every man. Uh, if every man accepts it, uh, I can. I don't think you can put a limit on the grace of God. And I always said that's what limited atonement sounds like to me. You're limiting the grace of God. Don't limit the grace of God. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to discuss the theological argument. Um, here is just one more thing that he paid pay for everybody. It's not universalism, by the way. Uh, I don't believe in that. It's only for those who accept Christ and His grace. Uh, to me, it makes God love and rights more profound than anything else. Grace offered, but often rejected, sadly. Uh, it doesn't mean the grace was never there. And then look at verse 14. And here's another blessing. Another blessing. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he likewise took part of the same. In order to save us, who are human beings, Jesus had to take on flesh. Okay, you follow that? Jesus had to take on flesh. That he through death might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject to bondage. Wow. He destroys him that has the power of death. The whole reason for the incarnation is revealed here. Uh, Jesus had to be the kinsman redeemer. He had to take upon flesh. He had to be like us. We are flesh and blood in order to save our souls. Jesus took part of the same. Remember in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve had dominion of everything, but they lost it. It became the abode of the devil. The earth did. And Jesus' death not only, not only, paid for our sins, but redeemed mankind and the earth in every way. And defeated the devil. And the Lion of the Tribe, as I mentioned back in Revelation 5, uh, the angelic conflict is shown here. What does that mean? Well, Isaiah 14 tells us that Satan sinned. The Bible also brings out that a third of the angels of heaven followed him in rebellion against God. And since that time, Satan's just been wandering around, and then God created man. But when God created man, he knew that we would resolve that conflict. And on the cross, Jesus indeed, he defeated the devil. He condemned the devil, 
And the reason that people go to hell is not because, well, it's because they've chosen not to believe in Jesus and they've chosen the side of the devil. Because hell was created, according to the book of Matthew, for the devil and his angels. And it says, and all those with him are cast in with him. So, he was condemned. Jesus said right before he died, now is the prince of this world judge, now is he cast down. And he defeated Satan on the cross. This was the coup de grace of the cross. For Jesus redeemed mankind, bought back the title lead to the earth, defeated Satan, master stroke, on the cross. One, one act did it all. Amazing. Satan, while Satan rejoiced, and had a party for three days. On the third day, they said, uh-oh. Houston, we have a problem. And Satan, by the way, knew he had been defeated. It says John twelve thirty one. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. It says in Revelation that he is angry. Knowing his time is short. Uh, and I believe he is angry today. Knowing his time is short. Uh, in some way, he held power over the earth. But he was the God of this world. The prince of power of the air. Amen. Still, still is to a certain strength, extent. But he stripped Satan of most of his power. And left him a condemned prisoner here on earth. He still has liberty to move about. And do certain things. But he is condemned. Even at this late hour, he can still appear in heaven. As it says in Revelation 12, 10, he, he accuses us day and night before God. Okay? However, he accuses us but has no power over us. And the fear of death has been removed from us. Amen? We have no fear of death. Uh, we do not fear death because it does not really exist for us. Uh, and although he was made a little lower than the angels, all things are now subject to him. All things are under him. It says in verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, there's a creation in, and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect or accepted through sufferings. And so he, here he is. He has created all things, done all things, brought the message, still speaks, defeated the devil, and we are no longer under the bondage of death. He has, my friend, he has set us free. Amen. Verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He also continues to be our high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation with the sins of the people, which he did, whether he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure or help those who are tempted. And we'll take up there next time. God bless you. I've enjoyed it. And this will be, I guess, our final Bible study. And I uh, hope you folks have enjoyed me as much as I've enjoyed you.
And I won't be coming to you, even by taping anymore, unless needed. Uh, So there I say my farewell to you. I love you. And God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we pray in his precious name. Amen. Farewell.